We talk a lot on this show about how what we might call traditional health care is only a piece of a larger health puzzle. On previous episodes, we've talked about residential segregation, race, water quality, and beyond, all issues that shape health outcomes, often even more than healthcare services themselves. Today, we turn to an issue that's been in the news lately, namely dyslexia, which tends to be treated as only a quote-unquote educational issue, but turns out to have health consequences as well, and deserves to be thought of as a health issue in its own right. This is Prognosis Ohio, a WCBE health and healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ohio University health policy professor, Dan Skinner. Hey folks, and welcome back. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to be talking with two guests about dyslexia, and specifically about the importance of screening for dyslexia early to head off developmental delays and the onset of health problems stemming from the results of delayed diagnosis. Of course, beyond these kinds of consequences, delayed or misdiagnosis of dyslexia is a problem with long-term effects on employability and people's ability to live independent, healthy, and full lives. We've got two interviews on today's show. First, I visited with State Representative Brian Baldridge of the 90th House District, which includes a large swath of southern Ohio, including the city of Portsmouth. Earlier this year, Representative Baldridge introduced House Bill 436, which calls for significant reforms to Ohio's approach to screening for dyslexia. Second, to give us a little bit of on-the-ground perspective, I wanted to speak with an educator with expertise in dyslexia. I was really glad that Blythe Wood, a teacher and academic and behavior coach in the Pickerington Local School District, agreed to talk with me. First, though, before turning to these conversations, I just want to ask you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, engage with us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, and email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com, especially with show ideas and themes. Be sure to visit the WCBE Podcast Experience webpage at wcbe.org, where you can find links with background information from our conversation today. Okay, now to my conversation with Representative Brian Baldrich of the 90th House District. Representative Baldridge, thanks very much for joining me on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here this morning on this, uh, we'll call it a little cloudy morning here this morning in Columbus, but yeah. So we're going to talk today about um, a bunch of different issues, but we're going to focus mostly on the, the dyslexia bill that you're working on. And I, I just wanted to start by kind of framing it a little bit. You know, I know that you and your wife, Lori, who's an educator, yes. um, discovered that your daughter had dyslexia when she was in third grade, yeah. right? And now, this is considered to be late enough that it could pose a risk to development, and it seemed like this was one of the things that got you thinking about this issue um, in a very personal way. Uh, I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about how this kind of initial moment shaped your thinking and got the ball rolling that now is House Bill 436. Absolutely. Well, it was uh, truly, you know, starts at the family home with this issue, and, uh, you know, Allison uh, was, uh, she was my youngest, uh, two children, a son and a daughter, and Allison, uh, you know, it, it started truly at home. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, she was just rolling on through. And it's, it's one of the, one of the things that really kind of disguises dyslexia a little bit because she was so smart and, but she was memorizing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so she would just memorize all the words she needed to. And, uh, scores were great. Tests were great. Everything was just one normal. And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we kind of hit a brick wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hit that third grade area and, uh, you know, we kind of, we, 
we we hit the wall or, or fell off the cliff, however you want to say it. And where she had to got, where she got to the point where she literally had to start putting everything together as far as the sentences, the sounds, and everything. That's where that's where the the kind of disconnect um, within within her mind started having those issues. Yeah. So and um, you know, not only my wife was an educator, but uh, also uh, pretty much everybody in my family. I say I'm kind of definitely the the odd one out, maybe per se, as far as being in politics. But you know, my mom, my mother-in-law, uh, my sister, my my wife's two sisters. I mean, uh, my my uncle was an administrator in, in school district. So a whole a lot of folks within our family is in education. So, and my mother-in-law was actually a reading specialist. Yeah. So yeah. initially, we tried to say, hey. Let's let's dive into this at home. We'll, we'll get we'll get it taken care of, and then we realized very quickly that there's more things um, here. So we started working with the school, and um, really had a struggle because there are so many different levels of dyslexia, and uh, you know, and actually, thank goodness Lori had done her master's work at uh, at uh, Xavier. She'll be glad I did a shout out for yeah, Xavier yeah. University, but uh, did her master's work down there and had a connection with a professor that she'd had, and and went down there, and we kind of he helped us find the the exact diagnosis, and then team that up with that specialist to kind of give her, move her forward in a positive direction. So it strikes me, I mean, that the way you told the story, too, you were very lucky that you knew people who could actually help you with understand this issue, which not everybody would have, right? You think about other people who are less fortunate, who are in the school systems and just kind of not really sure what resources to turn to. Absolutely. would agree 100% from that standpoint. Um, and even even with the resources within our close-knit family, it was still a challenge. There was yeah. still a, a gap, um, you know, that we, we took had to take some time to get through the steps and, and the hurdles to actually get to that end result and get her to figure out how to work through um, her weakness um, with dyslexia um, and how to overcome that. So let's talk a little bit about House Bill 436 then specifically. So it would establish um, the Ohio Dyslexia Committee, which would be made up of appointees of the Dyslexia Association, as well as the Ohio Department of Education. Um, And the group would create a guidebook for school districts, right, to kind of give them some guidance about how to how to go about doing uh, more effective screening. Tell me a little bit about why you landed on these two components with HB 436. So initially, we wanted to put a committee together to say, okay, let's bring the folks, the specialists, um, who who fully understand one education, but number two, dyslexia uh, as an issue. And and we're even have we had a, a great meeting yesterday here in our office about maybe even expanding that committee a little bit to really dial in to to some of the folks who really truly um, that I believe that that are the specialists in this field today. And I'm going to say today because it's an ever changing issue. There is so much. We're, each day we're learning more and more. Um, from from that standpoint, from dyslexia, but you know, we there so many times there has to be that that kind of oversight and that where where the uh, you know where we kind of start that basic process and and move forward. So so we're we're excited about that. And like I said yesterday, we had we had discussions as far as even expanding that a little bit to bring in some additional folks on that oversight committee. Now I always look back and say, okay. What's that number of a committee that's too big uh, where you start uh, losing ground? But uh, we want to expand that, and we kind of like that that concept as well. 
So what are the prospects of this bill? I mean, there are some bills that, you know, to me, as a health person, as a health policy person, I just can't imagine there being any opposition at all. You know, it seems so straightforward. What's your level of optimism about the ability to bring this around and to, to make it law? I, I think um, I'm very optimistic that this bill will move forward. Um, I am very hopeful because I, I, I know, you know, as we stated uh, early on, the impact um, to our family and, and what we went through. And, and Allison is so very successful now, but those challenges. Um, so, but, but op- when you talk about opposition, I think you look at, you know, um, I came from local government as a township trustee and a county commissioner and ended up here in the state house. But I am very uh, also concerned about the impact to local governments, meaning our school districts. Yeah. And, um, you know, what is the impact? What is the cost? And, and a word that we hear a lot uh, here in Columbus and back home and local governments is unfunded mandate. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I see, <laughs> so, I've seen yeah. that in the media a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So, so obviously very um, worried and trying to work through some of those challenges yeah. um, because it does – um, bring some some standards, some rules back in locally, and and with those there is a cost. Now my discussion and, and it's a hypothetical discussion, and we don't know where it ends up. But I believe, and, and I think that an early diagnosis is a cost savings down the road. Right. So when that child, um, you know, it, it's not going to be a cure, but it's as I've stated earlier, where Allison knows how to work through, she understands her challenge and she knows how to get past those challenges. And I think, you know, I think there's a cost savings, my opinion, that in down the road within the education system, that child, um, whoever that child might be, is not kind of holding back her classmates or his classmates yeah. within the group setting. So I think there's a cost savings with folks, um, you know, that, that will have to be used to help with IEPs and, and different right. types of interventions uh, within the school district. So I'm hopeful that uh, we can look at this, um, that there's a cost savings to it. And, and the other side of it, you know, we're not totally recreating the wheel with this concept. You know, there was a pilot program yeah. that was done here in the state of Ohio that showed um, – so positive impacts um, with dyslexia training, with dyslexia programs. And, uh, and a number of school districts are already – some school districts aren't going to feel any impact at all with this bill. Right. Because they already have yeah. these type yeah. of systems in place. So is this really an equity issue? I mean, are some school districts positioned better than others, and we're really just trying to close some of those gaps? I, I would agree 100%. In my district, uh, I'm in southern Ohio, uh, down on the Ohio River and in Appalachia. Um, and, um, it's probably a little more challenging. Uh, you know, I'm working, I, I, I met with a number of superintendents, uh, in my district a couple of weeks ago and brought this bill up to talk about it because I think there's probably a, a little heavier lift, mm-hmm. um, a more impact in, in maybe rural Ohio. Whereas, um, you know, we know there are a number of school districts right here within Franklin County, within the greater Columbus area that already have a lot of these things in place and they're catching these 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 youngsters with the, the diagnosis very early uh, in their educational process. So, you know, I'm going to put my political scientist hat on for a minute and say, you know, we, we learn about a thing called political time in political science programs. And, and you're trying to ha- make long-term arguments, but oftentimes people are very short-term oriented. They're worried about their taxes this year or their budget that, you know, next year or, you know, and, and you're trying to say, look, we need to think longitudinally because we can demonstrate that it works. We've seen this with pre-K, for example. We know that all these things that we do in the first couple of years of life have long-term consequences of all sorts, but 
persuading people to invest with that kind of long-term thinking can be challenging. Have you had to have conversations? I mean, the data should do the speaking for you, but there's probably some persuasion that's needed as well. Oh, absolutely. With with so many things we do here uh, within the state house, I mean, I think I, I would agree with with your comment. But you know, we're hopeful with our discussions that that we really push the vision uh, of of moving past the challenges of one in five students um, with dyslexia challenges. Yeah. So we want to we want to move past tomorrow. And and is there a cost tomorrow? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be very upfront. There absolutely is. But again, let's move past tomorrow and realize, you know, the what the success can be in the future. I want to ask you just one other question about the dyslexia piece. And, you know, your story made me think a little bit about the relationship between personal experience and health policy or education mm-hmm. policy. Um, when we know people who have experienced something, uh, we're likely to be a, more empathetic. And also, you're in a position where you can take action. How do you think about that personal connection and policy more generally? Is this something that you feel as, uh, as a legislator drives your thinking about lots of issues, just this issue? Because there are other issues where you might not know somebody and might not be as empathetic, and we're trying to close that gap a little bit. And there are so many health issues where more affluent people, for example, might never have actually encountered a situation and might not have that feeling about it. So can you tell me a little bit about how this has made you think about your role as a legislator generally and that personal connection? Absolutely. And and, and obviously, I would agree that when, when it becomes personal for me, it's an, it's an easier... A discussion to have as, as we move forward and, and it's an easier um, as I, I speak with other uh, fellow colleagues um, and to to tell my story um, on a personal level on this issue so yeah I would agree 100 percent but uh, and as I stated coming out of local government no matter what the issue is I've always tried to take a step back remove you know um, myself and look at the big broad picture um, and make sure that uh, that I am making a decision um, that is best in this case, best for the state of Ohio, whatever that issue is. And, and yeah, there are so many issues. I don't serve on health committee, but I know the folks on health committee, there are so many issues that come in front of them that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more homework. You know, we, we do have homework here in yeah. the state house um, that they have to do to educate themselves. And, and just like the committees that I'm on, there's a lot of, you know, some of the issues that I am not as familiar with. You know, there, you know, I think the house is over 500 bills introduced. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of different directions um, from a lot of different legislators going on in Columbus. But, you know, we just have to dig in and uh, truly um, kind of understand what the direction of whatever that bill is. So I would agree with what you're saying. You know, when it comes some of the personal things that uh, that that I've experienced in life, um, obviously those issues are easier for me to discuss today um, before I have to, you know, some of the others I have to do a lot of education and, and digging into and learning a lot about. Great. Well, I look forward to getting down to visit the district sometime. Please, more than welcome. The, the rolling hills of Southern Ohio, come on down. Yeah. Thanks very much for taking some time to talk with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. While my conversation with Representative Baldridge laid out some of the basic issues that HB 436 seeks to address, and it provided us with a little bit of context, I wanted to bring in the perspective of an educator as well. Blaithwood is an academic and behavior coach in the Pickerington Local School District, as well as a board member at the International Dyslexia Association of Central Ohio. I spoke with Blaith over the web. Blaithwood, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We've just finished talking with Representative Baldridge about the proposed legislation that he's been working on. As an experienced educator, what are 
in your view, some of the long-term consequences of delayed diagnosis of dyslexia? I think one of the first things as an, as an educator I think of is delaying diagnosis delays intervention. So um, students with dyslexia can be taught to read. They need to be taught in a different manner. So when we delay the diagnosis um, or identification, then we are also delaying the time we have to remediate. We also are allowing the student to spend time there is a reason that they are struggling. And that leads to a lot of social and emotional um, problems. You know, they have low self-esteem. They are struggling with their peers because their peers are in a different place with them. They may have behavioral outbursts because of things that are happening in, in, happening in the classroom that um, they don't want to be a part of. So we sometimes see um, behaviors in connection with not being able to read. Yeah, I've seen some reports that there are elevated levels of uh, diagnosis for ADHD and, and related issues like that, as well as medication for those kinds of issues. Correct. And it's always the question always becomes, well, which came first? Was it the ADHD that impacted the um, growth in the area of literacy or was it the dyslexia? And really, it really doesn't matter which came first. It just matters that we are providing the right intervention for that student. So while education is obviously uh, very closely related to health issues of all sorts and developmental issues of all sorts, on this show, we we are focused primarily on the health component. I wonder if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about why should they think about dyslexia, not only as a question of educational attainment, but health as well. So one of the first things I think about is, so when we go and we are trying to obtain health care, the first thing we have to do is we're handed paperwork to fill out. And um, well, as an adult with dyslexia, that is very intimidating. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I often wonder in the back of my mind if a person would be less, less likely to go seek the support they need because of the fact they know that they're going to have to sit down. They're going to have to tell somebody, I can't read this. I can't fill out this form. Uh, and so that is very intimidating socially. We do know that also, not even just with dyslexia, but we know that with illiteracy and literacy issues generally, that it becomes a barrier uh, to just, you know, being informed, but also entering into those spaces where they might need to cross that barrier. Exactly. Now, there's also, you know, there's a lot of research out there that um, tells us that a lot of our students with dyslexia are not able to obtain jobs that might be of their intellectual potential because of the fact that they do struggle with reading and with writing. Because, you know, again, that resume, that application is our first impression for, you know, an employer. And so I think that's important for us to consider when when we the students might not or the adults might not have the advocacy skills to know that I need to get help in, in doing this resume. They might not have the self-esteem to tell a, a future employer, I struggle with writing, but if you want to sit down and talk to me about this, I am able to tell you all of my, you know, all the reasons why you should hire me. So dyslexia, like so many of the issues we've talked about in this podcast, is a, you know an important issue in and of itself, but also has these real uh, far-reaching social consequences that are not just challenges for the people themselves, but also, you know, just really strain other social services and supports 
And there's a real argument there for thinking longitudinally about it, thinking holistically about it. Correct. And and that is as an educator or as an in area of education, I know that we're always thinking what's going to come next for our students, but it's not really our reality. So I think that um, we need to, to consider as we are talking about early screening, what are those long-term effects and how can we avoid some of those? Well, Blythe, thanks so much for joining me on the show. And I also just want to take the opportunity to thank you for being a teacher and for doing this kind of advocacy work for a uh, really, you know, a part of our population that needs advocates. Yes, there, there is a need in that area. And um, I I really believe that we, we can, as educators, we can make a lasting impact and we just have to be aware of, of all of the, of all the effects of, you know, what we're doing with our students. Great. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to Representative Brian Baldrige and to Blythe Wood for carving some time out of their busy schedules to talk with us. I was glad to be able to call some attention to the issue of screening for dyslexia, but I also want to make sure that I amplify just a bit more one thing that came up in my discussion with Representative Baldridge, namely that while it's important that personal experience be harnessed to develop policy that helps all Ohioans, it's also true that it shouldn't take personal experience to get to this point. I think about Senator Rob Portman, who in acknowledging that his son was gay, also declared his support for marriage equality, with great benefits for people who he will never know or meet. There are, of course, numerous other examples. As we think about the kind of approach that we need to make our state better and healthier, we need to think about how our public schools are funded, even in situations where it might not directly affect us, and think about the kind of policies we know will better educate our students and fellow Ohio residents in a more equitable way. Then, we also need to make sure that these resources are available to all Ohioans. In other words, to really create a healthier Ohio, let's imagine that our family and our friends are, or could be in that situation, and think about what kind of policy we'd like to see in place. It's really Empathy 101 if you think about it. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org, where you can also find the show notes for this episode. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and really wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in underwriting the podcast to bring attention to your product, event, or cause, please email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Okay, thanks for listening to Prognosis Ohio. Be well.